um, first of all, thank you guys so much for allowing me to join you guys this morning. Um, I, I, my internet, of course, I am in southwestern China at the moment, so I apologize if I come across a little robotic from time to time. I'm not really working on high speed. I am staying at a hotel with probably the fastest internet connection in the city. Uh, but that's really not saying very much. So uh, if, uh, if if you lose me, if I if I get dropped, um, I apologize uh, ahead of time. And uh, and if I'm coming in broken up or I say something that gets skipped over, uh, just stop me somewhere and let me know. Uh, and then I will try to go back if I can. I know that sometimes on Skype uh, these kind of uh, interactions can become a little bit. Um, challenging just because of the, the, the connection may not be as good as it is where you guys are in Canada. Uh, I, I, most of you will probably know some of the things that I'm going to be sharing about, but um, right now it is exciting to be on this side of the world. One of the reasons why we believe is that uh, the gospel is continuing westward from the Mount of Olives where it started in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. So when Jesus is giving the Great Commission to his disciples, we see that the disciples basically move from the Mount of Olives down into Jerusalem, which is a westward direction. And the book of Acts continues to follow um, Peter as Peter goes to Joppa. Again, that's west. And then from Peter, there's this transition that takes place that goes from Peter to Paul, from uh, Asia Minor to Europe, from Europe into Africa, and Africa around to the Americas. Uh, and then today, the world's largest revival by far taking place in China, the world's largest church being in South Korea. So we're really excited about being here where, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard the latest numbers, but roughly um, basic estimates are about 28,000 to 30,000 people coming to Christ in China every single day. That is that is extremely exciting, but it's not just exciting because, you know, woohoo, we have this big revival. But also, it's this church that has been suffering for a few generations under persecution. So with these kind of numbers, when it comes to revival, coming out of a history of intense persecution, uh, it's, it's really fascinating to watch as they decide that it's not just for China to enjoy this alone, but all the countries that are still in that final frontier between China and Jerusalem. We are now to take the great baton of the Great Commission and continue on into that region between China and Jerusalem, which is the area that is basically the most unreached. We call it the, the, the 1040 window, uh, the area between China and Jerusalem, or the Indian Ark, or the land between the walls, the, the land between the Great Wall of China and the Western Wall of Jerusalem. So this area is where you have nine-tenths of the world's unreached people. So out of, out of every ten people that are unreached around the world that have never heard the gospel even one time, nine of them live in this area between China and Jerusalem. And what's insane about that is that you have two-thirds of the world's population actually lives there. So two out of every three people that are born in the world today live in between China and Jerusalem. So one-third is basically dispersed everywhere else. 
Um, so two-thirds of the world's population is where we have the world's most unreached area. And I don't think it's by coincidence that we also see the world's poorest area. We see the world's most violent, most volatile regions. And uh, this is an area that truly is living in darkness and needs the light. And the Chinese that are experiencing this revival is like, hey, guys, we know the answer to the problems that are ailing this part of the world. And so to be with them, to be with the Chinese, that is that is really exciting. Uh, with two-thirds of the world's population living in this region, and, and nine-tenths of the unreached people also living in this region, it's it's phenomenal to me to to see that less than now these are these are American numbers, so but I think it's indicative of Canada as well as the church in, in the West in general. Uh, out of every hundred U.S. dollars given to missions, only one penny makes it to the unreached people groups of the world. Uh, I, I'm sorry, two pennies. Only two pennies <laughs> makes it to the unreached oh, yes. people group of the world. Only one penny makes it to the 1040 window or this area between China and Jerusalem. So very, very few resources in comparison to resources used in other areas. Um, according to the World Evangelistic Research Center, uh, more finances, more than 90%, are actually used on uh, domestic programs to reach those in the West that have already heard the gospel many, many times. I'm not saying that those are not good, but there's this whole area that is basically untouched. And uh, the reasons for that are many, but uh, it's exciting to be together with the Chinese as they just go trucking through these areas that you know are are not the safest areas. Uh, they're they're not the they're not the most wealthy areas. They're definitely not the areas you think of when you want to go on vacation or have you know umbrellas and your drinks and these these nice martinis out in the sun. But uh, these are definitely the regions that Christ, I believe, has called us to during these last days. So I love working together with the Chinese. One of the cool things about being in China is we make everything. So I, mean, I would challenge you to live a day without something, a part of your car, some of your clothing, a part of the computer, a part of your mobile phone that you're using that wasn't made in my backyard here in China. And I got the lungs to prove it. Um, have, uh, you know, some of the most cutting edge technology that we've actually invented ourselves that's not available anywhere else in the world. There are things that we've invented that we are using on the mission field to reach people. And I feel that we have the ability to reach more people through the technology that we're using now than has ever been possible in the history of man. But it can never replace the missionary, the person. The most effective thing that we work with, the most effective uh, tool that we have in our in the toolbox are those that God has called to the mission field. By far, it's not even it's not even close to there there's there's no system, there's no book, there's no twelve step program, there there's 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 no electronics that we've ever put into our hand. It, it, this the, the most effective power that we can see to change and effectively transform lives on the ground comes through the power of the Holy Spirit in the vessels of His people. Uh, I, it's, it's always different. But here's the thing that I find absolutely phenomenal. I think it's also backed up when we look at it uh, in, the, uh, in the New Testament testimonies. 
you know, I, I, I went to seminary. I had the opportunity to go and study, but it, it, it really, I, I don't feel that seminary really prepared me for the things that I'm doing today on the field. I think that oftentimes in the West we get hung up with the idea that I have to learn more, I have to study more, I have to have some sort of degree, I have to be able to regurgitate information, I have to be able to take an exam, I have to be certified by someone in order to authorize me to go forward and do great things for the kingdom, right? Sometimes I think our Western mind is, is naturally geared that way because that is kind of the, the way that we prepare for most of the trades and professions that we step into in life. And so I think that we oftentimes put um, uh, the culprit of God in that same kind of box, that same kind of category. However, when I hear Chinese, very simple individuals, without any education at all, and I'm talking about formal education, individuals that never went to high school, probably never went to middle school, never went to secondary school, individuals that are extremely simple, uh, they, they're, they're a bit backwards because they come from very rural agrarian areas, uh, they simply share their testimony and how the power of God moved in their lives. And that has been the most effective tool. I, I've seen it done in many different ways. I've seen it done in many different settings. I've, I've heard many different testimonies. Brother Yun, the testimony that he shares in the Heavenly Man book, that book has been really special. But honestly, in China, it's quite common. Uh, and there's, there's nothing special about it in China. And so when you have these individuals that get up and they share their testimony, not from theory, not from theology, not from some exam, and they're just regurgitating information that they got from a professor somewhere, but really uh, uh, things that they've experienced in life that God has touched them in a very personal way, uh, that I've, I've seen transform entire rooms inside of China. That, that's one. Two, in the, the fact that they, they had this common bond through persecution, uh, I, I think has been extremely effective uh, for, for bringing people together in a very raw, honest way. Now, if I, if I can just uh, uh, share this for a moment, because when I read, when I was reading through the book of Acts, and I was going through chapter 6 and chapter 7 today, uh, specifically about the story of Stephen, um, I, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to properly put this into words, so so forgive me, but I, I, I think that when I'm reading this, sometimes I feel like, okay, I've already read this, right? I, I already know what it's going to say. I already know what it's about. Uh, and, and I continue reading it, but today I was really hit with the idea that maybe I'm reading this with cultural eyes, cult, the, 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 the eyes of someone who has had the, 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 the very ideas of God shaped by my culture and by my society. Whereas the people from China, they haven't had that same experience. So their, what, their, their ideas of God, their ideas of Jesus, really have come out of one persecution and two, strictly what they've seen from the Bible in reading the Bible in complete ignorance. For me, I, you know, I, I got exposed to the Bible from a pastor sitting in church and, and, and listening. I became a Christian at the, at the age of 14. So from the age of 14, I've been attending church and going to church. But I think that there are some things that I have 
learned from others that others have wrongly learned, if that makes any sense. So what they wrongly learned, they wrongly, they, they rightly taught to me, and I rightly understood what they wrongly were taught. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if, you're, if you fully get that or not, yeah, that makes sense. but I think that as a humble Christian, I, I think as a humble Christian, we have to humble ourselves intellectually and spiritually and come to the place that maybe we don't really understand what it is that we're reading. What if what I've read and I thought I understood, I wrongly thought and wrongly understood? What if Christ has something new to teach me, but I can't hear it because I'm too proud in my own current understanding, which is wrong? And so as I was going through that, I, I, I really stopped and began to pray that, you know, Father, rip me from this secular cultural understanding of who Jesus is, and I beg, beg, beg the Holy Spirit to, to open up new ideas as I begin to read through the, this, this scripture in the book of Acts. Now, I don't know how much news you guys watch, but there's like these key words that are going through the U.S. right now, like this, this word safe space. The, you know, in, in university campuses right now, there, there's, this, there's these, these trigger words that hurt people's feelings. And so people are looking for safe spaces. And, and so these campuses have created what's called safe spaces where people cannot be exposed to anything that might hurt their feelings. And so they're free from microaggressions. And, and I find that absolutely absurd when, when, when you have individuals. I believe that if you're, if you're truly looking to stretch your horizons and expand your knowledge and challenge the, the, the things that you think that you know, if you're not willing to, to expose yourself to things that might hurt your feelings, then you might not, you don't deserve the right to even be on a university campus, yeah. in, in, in my opinion. But as I started to evaluate this idea of safe spaces, you know, and as it's, as it's sweeping through the United States right now, um, I, I have to ask myself, have our churches become safe spaces? Have we insulated ourselves from the things that hurt our feelings or might hurt the feelings of those around us? Do, do we put our feelings before revelation? Are we willing to sacrifice revelation if it comes at the expense of our feelings? And, and what I mean by that is that it seems that there are these trigger warnings that are coming from society that are telling Christians what they, what they should think and what they should not think. And I think that we have, as a church, greatly accepted the world's view of who Jesus is. And, and as I'm reading through the book of Acts, I've seen, actually, um, words that are being used, not just by Jesus, but sometimes by the disciples, that could be socially abrasive, that could, that, you know, that might not be, that they may not sound so loving, they may not sound friendly, but they're, but they're truth. And, um, and, I, and I've come to this conclusion, or, or at least, sorry, maybe it's not a conclusion, I, it, it, like I said, it, this may not all come out right because this is kind of in the beginning stages of just kind of thinking through this when I was reading through the Bible today. So, so I've, I've, I've come to this, you know, uh, this, this area where I, I, I feel that uh, it's, it's not really a conclusive idea so much, but I feel that 
looking at this, our churches have become these type of safe spaces where where uh, uh, people can feel like uh, certain things that may be thought of as being offensive for the world around us won't be said. That the, the, the church has adopted the world's idea of who we should be instead of us adopting the the what Jesus has called us to be. And, and I, it may sound a little harsh, but I, I think that I've come to the conclusion that anyone that requires a safe space in the kingdom cannot participate in the Great Commission. And it's exempt from sharing the suffering of Jesus. Because there are no safe spaces in the Bible, and there are definitely no safe spaces on the mission field where Christ has called us to. And I believe it is that lack of safe space that leads us into areas that expose us to persecution. And, and, and I get it. I get it. I understand that the Bible is full of love and grace and peace. And, and don't get me wrong, this is the central message of the gospel that Jesus gave to us. But I don't think it gives a rip about our feelings and how we feel about it. <laughs> I, 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 the truth that God gave us is, is, is truth. And, and it doesn't really stop just because we might be hurt from the, that truth. That if our feelings are, are hurt by the truth, that it's, it's not the Bible that needs to change to adjust to our feelings, but our feelings that need to adjust to the Bible and the truth. Of God's word, Amen. and, and, and we, we are seeing that I think uh, a little bit that, that this idea of of um, uh, truth being a bit almost like this culturally homogenous uh, environment uh, where we have these theological prophylactics, if you will, that keep anything dangerous from leaving our mouth and going out to the world around us for fear that the, the world may be offended by what we have to say. And I think that there has become this idea where love has been confused, right? Where we say, okay, well, if you yep. say that, you're not a very loving person. And Christ is about love. And the Bible's about love. So if you follow after Christ, then you must be about love. And that means that you need to accept these certain paradigms that the world has put on us as a church. But I think that we are confusing as a church, and I get this from China, it, 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 being exposed to China. The Chinese have really taught me that love is not the same as compromise. That love is willing to sacrifice. You are willing to sacrifice yourself. You're willing to give your life for others. That is true love. That even if it is rejected by what you're saying, you are willing to isolate yourself. You are willing to be a loner. You are willing to be by yourself for the love of others. And if Christ loved us and his love is in us, then we have that love for others as he has. We, we, we are uh, vessels of his love. And, and therefore, we are willing to sacrifice ourselves for the, the, the goodness of others. Amen. Whereas compromise... Compromise is the opposite. It is not done out of love. It is done out of uh, uh, self-preservation. It is this, this idea that I want to remain comfortable. I don't want to hurt your feelings because I don't want to be ostracized from this community. I don't want to be removed from this society. I don't want to be rejected at my job. I don't want to be looked down upon among the academics in, in my university. And, and, and so we come to compromises that I think make us 
uh, the, the impotent in, in, in society. And, uh, and the reason I say that, and I, and I mainly charge the West, we, we often send missionaries into areas or we take mission trips, you know, where we can go and we can take some photos and we can, we can uh, you know, put up bunny ears in our photos and then put it up on Facebook so that uh, everybody can see how cool of a, of a Christian we are and serving in really poor places. We show some pictures of some really destitute children. Uh, that look really sad and, and make everybody feel, you know, have this bleeding heart for them. But they're not really, we're not really putting ourselves in danger at any given time. We're not really putting ourselves at risk at any time. And we're not really exposing anybody to the gospel for the very first time. And so I, I think that that has breeded a culture that has made us very weak. And as a result, we haven't been very mission-minded for the Great Commission which makes me so excited about being with the Chinese on this side of the world right now. And when I was reading uh, Acts chapter 6 and 7, I, I'm, I'm looking at uh, Stephen specifically. And I, when I see Stephen, I realize that this story helps me, helps me see God in a completely different way. Because the Sunday school that I grew up in, says that when we are when we have the Holy Spirit coming down upon us, we we are able to conquer, right? We have this idea of success. And and we often equate success with finances and victory and safety and and, and romance and love and, and everything that can go right does go right. You know, that is the definition of success. But we see a very successful Stephen but not in the way that we would probably categorize him as being successful in the West. We see the Holy Spirit come upon him. Now get this. When I was in, Holy, when I was in Sunday school, I, I'm sure you guys sing the same kind of songs. I'm not a singer, so forgive me. But we sing these songs like, you know, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. And then when I was a kid, I would say, you know, let God arise and his enemies be splattered. You know, then we would play on those words and, you know, and, and, and have fun with those songs. And, and, and the idea is that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're like David. You know, you 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 kill the giant, you slay the giant. You're like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You go into the furnace and you're not burnt. But here we see Stephen used by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says that the Holy Spirit is upon him, and his enemies throw stones, and he dies. That's not the way the Sunday school song goes. That's, that's not the stories that I was told when I was a kid. That's not the victory, the great successes of being used by God and guided by the Holy Spirit. So what gospel is this? And, and when I look at the stories of every single disciple, and I'm not talking about this desire to be martyred. I'm not the, talking about this desire to live in poverty. I'm not talking about a desire to be ostracized. But I am talking about a certain sacrifice that I'm seeing in China today that I think is refreshing for us to at least acknowledge, see, and, un, and, and, and try to evaluate if there anything that we can learn that we are missing in our own life <coughs> with Christ today. Is there anything from the persecuted church that we can... Uh, uh, learn that would enrich our own understanding of what it is that we are reading from the Bible. I, I believe that Andrew, the answer is a resounding yes. 
I, I think that there are a, a smorgasbord of, of, of different information that we can pick and choose from that would enlighten our, our understanding of the gospel in ways that a <laughs> hundred years of sitting in a boring theology class uh, in, in, in the middle of America in a liberal university setting would ever be able to teach me. Uh, and that, that, that's, that's my opinion. I just use the words of the Chinese. We have a Sunday school training program here in China. It's called the Dove Program. Uh, it is the only, or the first. I don't know. It, I would, I would say the only, but I can't, I can't, you know, verify that. But it's, it's definitely the first Sunday school training program that was invented by the Underground House Church for the Underground House Church, used in the Underground House Church. And what makes it different? And it's already, it's now been used to. We've, we've personally used it to train more than 30,000 Sunday school teacher trainers. It's been tr used to train more than uh, 300,000 Sunday school Sunday school teachers. Um, the main, and it's been used now around the world. So it started in China. It's been used in China. It was the big focus was China, but a lot of places like Ethiopia, Cambodia, Vietnam, even Norway, uh, Finland, Sweden have said, "Hey guys, we love this. Can we use this here?" And the the main thing about it is is that it is not. It is not teaching the children as a way of setting up a babysitter program for the adults to learn the real stuff and the, the children to kind of be pacified for an hour or two while the, while the, while the, the parents are, are, are getting fed. Um, it's not a babysitting program. Um, it basically identifies that it helps the, the, each person, regardless of age, to know that they've been called by God and they are being used by God. God has a place for them today, right now, that he, he uh, has certain doors and, and, and places that uh, only they have access to that maybe their parents do not have access to. Uh, those around them that are, that are older may not have access to, and, and they are able to share the gospel in a very unique way with individuals that are around them. I received the good news of Jesus Christ for the very first time when I was 14. I did not grow up in a Christian family, and uh, I became a Christian when I was 14. I became a Christian because of a very pretty girl who talked me into going to church with her, and I was very much willing to go along with her because I was infatuated. And it turned out that that relationship didn't last, but the one that she introduced me to by taking me to church lasted for a lifetime. Amen. Uh, in that in that uh, setting, I you know became a Christian. I was on uh, at the time I was on house arrest. I was I was not the best. Um, student, uh, I had been I, I had been put on probation, um, so I was getting in trouble quite a bit. I was on a I was on a road that probably would not have led to a very good place. But at 14, another 14 year old led me to Christ, uh, probably unintentionally, but she still did it. And um, and and I think oftentimes we see that uh, we see children as being extensions of ourselves, and I don't think that that's necessarily the case, that they have been put in our, our, our care for a certain amount of time, but they are, they, God has no grandchildren, 
He only has sons and daughters. So they cannot receive salvation through their mother and father. If, if, if they think that they are saved because they grow up in a, in a Christian family and mom and dad are saved, therefore I, I am saved by osmosis, it's, it's, it's bullocks. It's not, it's not happening. Uh, they have to have their own experience with Jesus Christ. They have to have their own uh, relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has put a calling on their life from the, from the day that they were, that, that they were uh, put together in the womb of, of the mother. They had a calling upon their life. And, and from the day that they're born until the day that they die, every single day in between, God has a calling. And the ultimate calling might actually be like Stephen, which was in his death. So I, I, I think that if, if there's anything that I can share, it would be from this Dove program, which the Chinese share with the, the children as if they are missionaries. They are on a mission. Their job is to leave that Sunday school class or leave that, that uh, home Bible study and to go straight into ministry from there. This, for the last 12, 24 months, we've seen the first kind of persecution taking place in Wenzhou, Shenzhen, Shanghai that we've seen uh, more now than in the last 10 years. Uh, and what President Xi has said has greatly impacted the local leaders around China. Several thousand crosses have been ripped down from official churches, churches that have been officially registered. There's one church in Wenzhou that was allowed to be built, it was established, has 10,000 members. It was destroyed, leveled, uh, torn down to the ground. There's another church. I was just in, on, on the 14th of April, I was in a place called Hunan Province in Nanyang, Brother Yun, the heavenly man's hometown. The next village over was a place called Jumadian. Jumadian had a church where the government sent a bulldozer to destroy it. The pastor and his wife stood in front of the bulldozer. The bulldozer driver was told by the official, bury them alive, I'll take responsibility for their life. Both the pastor and his wife, this wasn't 1990s, this wasn't in the 1950s, this was uh, last, or now we're in June, so it was in April. Uh, April 14th, so just a month and a half ago. So April 14th, uh, both the pastor and his wife were buried alive. The pastor was able to claw his way out and, and save himself. His wife, not so fortunate. She was she was killed. She was buried alive. Um, so it's it, it, the underground church is growing. It's thriving, but it's just that it is underground. It is, and by underground we mean that it's unregistered. It doesn't mean they're ashamed of the gospel. It doesn't mean that they're hiding the fact that they're Christian. It's actually just the opposite. They're they're very aggressively evangelizing and sharing. They just don't do it in any way that we would consider to be um, uh, like our official churches in the West. Is there persecution against Christians today? Absolutely. Are there areas that have less persecution than before? Yes, there are. But the majority of the church in China today, the majority of the Christians in China today, are the un part of the underground house church. Well, I, I mean, I think that in the U.S., one of the things I had to strip my 
and, and when I say the U.S., I mean the U.S. and Canada. I mean basically the same kind of uh, uh, culture, same kind of the you know Greek type of thinking. Um, one of the things that I had to really do for myself, and I think one of the things that really helped me to understand a lot more, was stripping my mind of the dichotomy that we have put on ourselves of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I mean by dichotomy is that we have somehow come to the conclusion that there is a separation of church and state. There is a separation of work life and church life. There is a separation of social life and church life. There's this. There, for instance, when I go home and I and, and and I have a meal and I start talking about the how my day went, it's not uncommon for my wife to say no 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 talking about work at the table. You know that 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 kind of idea. That doesn't exist in China. Uh, when you work and you live. And you minister, and your friendships, and your family relations—everything is kind of mixed up in this in this pot, in this in this big soup. Um, for for the uh, for the Western mindset, I think that we like to have things categorized and very cleanly so. Uh, where you know, when I go to work, I have this work mindset. When I'm on vacation, I have this vacation mindset. When I'm with my family, I have this family mindset. And, and, and in order to be successful as a family man, in order to be successful as a businessman, and in order to be acceptable or as successful as a ministry person, I have to separate those things. And therefore, ministry takes place primarily within the, the confines of a brick and mortar building, that, that which we've called church, which is not really church at all. Church is not a geographical location. It, it, is, it is not this brick-and-mortar facility. And because we've got caught up in this idea of church being this noun, being this geographical location, that is where the majority of our ministry takes place. And if we do ministry outside of this location that we call church, then it has to be deliberate, meaning that we have to have a strategy. We, 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 we have to move with, with an emphasis, and then we do that for a little bit, but we get tired, right? So then we have to take a break, and we retreat back home, and that's where we relax, and we, we, we have a beer with our friends and a cookout with our family. But that doesn't really involve ministry because that's not the intentional goal that we had when we left that brick-and-mortar facility. If, uh, one of the things that the Chinese have taught me is to remove this dichotomy, that uh, it, it if we are to really be used by God, we have to be vulnerable to be used anywhere and everywhere. We, uh, uh, Brother Yun, well, I just give him as a really quick example. Um, when I travel with him to any restaurant, it is the most uncomfortable feeling you ever experience. <laughs> when I travel with him, I request, because he doesn't speak any English, um, I request that we get to sit at different parts of the airplane. Because he cannot sit beside people without ministry. And I shut down. I want to sleep on the airplane. I don't want to be bothered with ministry. I don't want to hear about, you know, uh, uh, somebody singing uh, uh, some song in really bad uh, uh, Chinese English uh, and trying to share with a person. I want to be lazy. I want to be selfish. I want to, I want to be apart from that. I want to eat my meal at the restaurant. And Brother Yun isn't like that. He wants to share with people everywhere that he's at. And so he doesn't actually shut down. He doesn't turn off because it's a part of who he is. And I think that is my main weakness. I think that is our weakness sometimes in the West is that we have this 
dichotomy where we separate the gospel from different parts of our life and we make it impotent from, from having a real impact when it could. I think times when we when we are purposeful doing purposefully doing ministry, we we may not actually be as effective as we are when we are accidentally doing ministry. I mean we see when Paul shares about the 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 when, when he goes to uh, uh, Athens, probably one of his most notable sermons, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount of Mars, on Mars Hill, when he, he's actually waiting on his friends. If you read in the book of Acts where he's, 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 he's getting ready to, uh, uh, he, he didn't want to do ministry, he got kicked out of the area where he was at in, in the northern part of Macedonia. He comes down there and he's waiting for his friends to come and join him. He's not ready to do ministry. But he takes the opportunity to share with the people about the unknown God, completely opportunistic. And I think that that's the way that we have to live our lives. And just, if we are to learn anything from the Chinese, maybe that might be one nugget. Yeah, so if we could have, if there are people that want to come and serve on the field together with the Chinese, we need them more now than ever. The, when, when we talk about the Back to Jerusalem vision and, and the Chinese leaving China and going to the, the area between China and Jerusalem, it is not an outsourcing of the good news. It's not an outsourcing of the Great Commission. We didn't find cheap labor. We're like, woo now we get to send people to the places we don't want to go to for a really cheap price. But it's, 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 it's exciting because now we have people that are willing to serve on the field together with us. Uh, brother in arms, sisters in arms that are willing to be in the trenches of warfare, fighting side by side. And if there are individuals that are willing to come for short amounts of time, and I'm talking about like uh, one month, three months, six months, or a lifetime, we can use them over here on the field. Um, just here in Guilin, uh, also in Shanghai, we need uh, English teachers at the missionary training schools. Um, we are doing Right now, our biggest need, and we're working in northern Iraq. I'm in northern Iraq about once a month. Uh, we have a, a, a place that we call a safe house, much different than safe, safe zones in college campuses in America, but we call it the safe houses. And the safe house that we have are women that have been raped in the most brutal ways by ISIS and have been able to escape. And now they're rejected by their families and they're rejected by their societies. And we give them a place where they can come and get counseling. There we can, we we're able to give them training and skills and then invest in their lives with business. We need older women that might be retired or widowed or single that are willing to come and be a house mother for these women. And when I say women, I'm using that very, uh, very liberally. Many of these women that have been raped and abused for the last year or two and have made it into safety, they're as young as 11 years old, taken when they were 9 and 10, uh, abused in some of the most horrible ways that, that you can imagine. I, I would not even feel comfortable describing. Um, we, we have a book that will be coming out this fall uh, that, that talks about the, the individuals and their stories that we're working with, both from Mosul and from the Yazidi area, where the Christians and the Yazidis were, were persecuted by uh, ISIS. And the area where we're working, we desperately need volunteers to come and serve with us there. Even if it takes just a, a vision trip to come and join us, uh, to kind of get exposed to it, we welcome you. Come and join us, see how you can help. The best way to serve is on the field together with the Chinese. The cool thing is 
nobody's getting mad at us for competing. There's no denominations working in our areas. There's no ministries that have like peed on a tree and said, this is our area. We can work here. Uh, so it's all open for uh, new individuals that have a calling to come and serve. 